Well, I want you to figure out the central problem from the following statistics. I'm going to share some statistics with you, and I want you to kind of pinpoint what the issue is. It afflicts 70 to 80 million Americans every year. It cost American businesses $150 billion in lost productivity. 64% of all teenagers say it's one of the main reasons why they don't perform well on tests. It affects greater than 50% of all Americans over the age of 65. It is the cause, it is the cause of 100,000 plus car accidents a year, resulting in 1,500 auto fatalities resulting in 71,000 injuries. It adversely affects people of all ages. Women are twice as likely to struggle with it than men. Do you know what it is? Lack of sleep. Lack of adequate rest. Studies reveal something most of us already know. We do not get adequate amounts of sleep and yet John that's a strange thing to me because when I come to church on Sunday morning I'm able to observe a great number of people sleeping and when I when I come to the congregation I see that some of you are able to catch up on some of your sleep in fact I need to share with you a couple of stories when I was on St. Simon's Island, before we moved into the bigger sanctuary, we had a smaller sanctuary. I guess it was a warm day that day in the sanctuary. And, and as I was preaching, two of my dear older friends, two men, one of them was on the back. They were both on the back wall, sitting on the back wall. And we didn't have pews. And one of them had his head tilted back against the wall with his mouth open, and the other one was <laughs> face down. And I told him, I said, you know, that's very biblical, because the dead in Christ will rise first, it says. <laughs> and, and, and then at Pittman Park, I kid you not, I had a, a, an 8.30 service just like this, two very precious men, uh, Garland Black and Warren Neese, and they were uh, both widowers, and they sat in front of each other, and there was plenty of pew around them, and Garland was, let's just say, at peace with the Lord, because while I was preaching, you need to know that while I'm preaching, my subconscious is running at the same time. And I'm looking over at Garland, and I can hear him sawing logs. <laughs> and, and Warren looks at me, and he's smiling, and he feels the awkwardness of the moment. And so he swats Garland <laughs> on the knee, and Garland goes, what? <laughs> what? <laughs> and so I need to share with you that as followers of Christ in, in the church, I think some of us have gotten this hour down Sunday morning catching up with sleep. But you know, it is true isn't it? that when we don't have adequate rest, life becomes more difficult. When we have insufficient amounts of sleep, we are just not right. 
We say it to our children and our grandchildren, don't we? We'll say, did you not get a nap today? <laughs> when they become fractious. Or my wife, she is an awesome woman. I got to tell you. And she runs hard all day serving a lot of folks like me. And her mother, who has Alzheimer's. And if she doesn't get her sleep, as awesome as she is, she's just not right. <laughs> and I got to tell you, uh, she will admit that. And it's that point where we're not at our best self. We get tired and worn out. And so what happens is our conversations go something like this. How are you doing? Well, I'm just tired. Have you said that lately? I got to tell you, I, I'm just worn out. And it may be worn out from well-doing, but you're just tired. Well, there's a couple of categories of weariness, isn't there? There's physical weariness where we get so busy and we're so stretched out and, and we have to do so much and working so hard for a long period of time that when we go to bed, it's a crash pad. And so physically, we can identify it when it happens physically, but what sneaks up on us is emotional. Emotionally, we become weary. And relationships are complicated. Circumstances are challenging. And, and we have these obsessive emotional thoughts that kind of bang around in our head. And, and the word, I think, for our culture is overed. Kind of made that up. Overed. <laughs> Overloaded, overwhelmed, overworked, overextended, overmatched, overdue, overdrawn, overfed. And, and so that emotional fatigue creeps up on us and we move into what I call emotional deficit living. It's when we become crazy busy, and that crazy busy living siphons off things from us emotionally to where we have no reserve. We run on fumes. And then spiritually, we can become tired. You know, we wrestle with the bigger issues of life. Questions, doubts, and, and we, we serve God, and we serve others, and we fail to take the time to recharge. Even those of us in caring ministry, where sometimes we feel as though we're always on, and there is a drain at times if we're not intentional about carving out time. And it takes a toll on on our inspiration and our energy. And so as followers of Jesus Christ, I, I wanted us to identify the reality of weariness in our lives 
Because what will happen is if we allow that weariness, that fatigue, that tiredness to overtake us, then life becomes drudgery. And we see everything around us is more of a burden than a blessing. And I don't believe that's ever what God intended. And, and there becomes a, a, a diagnosis that I want to put before you. It's called a shriveled soul. Where our souls lack vitality and we've lost the joy of the Lord because we're so, we've allowed ourselves to be so overwhelmed. And, and so some common You'll find in your message notes, I invite you to follow along, some common symptoms. One we've already talked about is fatigue, uh, discouragement, not feeling as though you can face the challenges because you're so tired, or apathy. We get to the point where we're just saying, you know what, I am so worn out, I don't care. Or irritability. We, we snap at someone who is around us who's simply asking a question. Or, or illness. And stress can induce illness and fear. Winston Churchill said it well when he said, fatigue can make cowards of all of us. And so there's some internal contributors, I believe, that, that moves us to this drivenness, this crazy busy, if you would, this weariness that develops. And one is a perfectionism. Some have a perfectionistic worldview where there's an obsession and, and, and we grind away at whatever it is. It has to be absolutely perfect. And, and sometimes that can really be diagnosed as a control issue. And, and so we, we just grind away at it until we're flat exhausted. And then there's people-pleasing. Part of a, <clears throat> the drivenness for us is hoping that people will like us. And so if we grind away at it, if we slog away at it, we wear ourselves down, then, then maybe we'll just measure up to their expectation. And then there are possessions. And pursuing possessions to the point where they become an obsession for us. And we want more and more. And you've seen it where people have to work more and more to have more. This insatiable craving to fill an emptiness. And so what develops is a drivenness to create more resources, to buy more resources, having to come up with more resources. And what I have found is when I move beyond a simple life, when I move beyond having just what I need to, to more of the things that I feel like I, I want and have to need. Well, then what develops in me 
is a distraction. They, they become a distraction away from the one that is most important. They become an idol for me. Or they can just be a distraction away from the things that are more important. But they also don't satisfy. Because I have to work harder to try to fulfill something that really will never be fulfilled apart from God. And so these, if you would, points of drivenness that are in us, these internal things. Sometimes I think it's more the internal issues than the external issues. And so what I want to suggest to you is that based on my reading in Bible, this is an unacceptable way to live. This crazy business. This drivenness. It's an unacceptable way to live before God and others. And I want to suggest to you that this issue of rest is serious business to God. This is serious business to our spirituality. And that's why God gave us the gift of the Sabbath. The Sabbath principle is written into creation. On the seventh day, God finished the work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all of the work that he had done, and God blessed the seventh day and hallowed it. He set it apart. The word holy means simply to set it apart. It had a special blessing. Out of the seven days, the only one was the Sabbath that received special attention from God and a special blessing. Think about that. God felt the need to take a time out. God took a day off. God rested. He made a day to recoup, to be renewed, to be refreshed, to be remade. And out of the, the Decalogue, the Ten Commandments, or the ten words God demonstrated and said for us, these are the things that will help bring order to your life. These are the things that will keep your life tracking in a balanced way. And that fourth commandment is this. Rest got in on the top ten of God. Listen to this. Remember the Sabbath day, keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath unto the Lord. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day. I made it holy. And so God sees this principle of the Sabbath, which means servant or rest is another translation, as critical to the wholeness and health of who we are as human beings created in the image of God. Like so many things, it has become distorted, and we see in the scriptures where Jesus is walking through the fields, and some of the disciples on the Sabbath are hungry, and he breaks off, or they break off some of the wheat, they harvest some of the wheat just for their own consumption, and the religious leaders call them down. Don't you know? You should not. That's prohibited on the Sabbath. 
the religious leaders did not feel that Jesus was as religious as he needed to be. And, and so they, they called him down. And then in another, uh, they called him down, they called the disciples down. Then in another moment, there's a man who is in need of healing. And they said, surely you're not going to heal this man on the Sabbath. And Jesus says something wonderful for us to hear. The Sabbath was not made for the... The Sabbath was made for people. It was made for the needs of people. People were not made for the Sabbath. And so what he was trying to do, and he eventually would heal the man, what he was trying to say was this. The Sabbath was never meant to be a day of don'ts. Do you remember the blue laws? Now, there are some things I liked about the blue laws. The blue laws, you'll remember, were those uh, policies and, and regulations by law where certain uh, businesses had to be closed on Sunday. And I, and I remember growing up with the blue laws. And, and I got to tell you, while it speaks to some of the don'ts, there were some things I liked about that day. And I remember going to a friend's house, Ken's house, on a Sunday afternoon after church. And, and I remember on that magna box stereo that his mother had that filled the length of the wall. I, I remember <laughs> hearing Billy Graham in the background preaching on the radio. We had been to church. We were listening to Billy Graham right after lunch. And then she said, you know, boys, you can go play. But let's don't turn on the TV today. Let's let this be a day where we can focus on the goodness of God. In fact, she said, y'all maybe want to take, take a moment to take a nap. <laughs> I think she was tired of us. <laughs> and you know, there was something beautiful about that. Now, I think in some ways people saw some of those regulations as domes. And, and maybe their, their time has come and gone. But I think the principle is still there. And I think what Jesus was saying is the Sabbath is not a list of don't do's. It is a gift. And it's a gift that God gives us to do something we probably wouldn't do unless he reminded us. And that is to rest. It's a gift. So, I think about how Jesus, in the scripture that Caroline, Caroline read for us, and, and how Jesus was willing to take a time out. Do you remember in the midst of his ministry, when it was very intensified, it says this, that he went to a lonely place. He went to a solitary place. He went to a place by himself and God. I like what one person said. Jesus went apart so that he would not come apart. Somehow Jesus, being mystically 100% divine, 100% human, God-man, the human part of him surfaced at that moment where he needed to recover, recoil, and recharge. Now, if Jesus, Messiah, <coughs> had that need in his life, 
How much more do we need that need to be met in our lives? And so this morning, I invite you to look at a couple of things in your message notes regarding soul restoration. The title of this message is Soul Survivor. And, and, and soul is spelled S-O-U-L. The idea that how do we make our souls become more healthy where we survive? And and one of the things that, that I want to do is to grow deeper in my relationship with Christ. And one of the things at the end of my ministry, as I continue to, to move forward in life, uh, is I don't want my life to be an inch deep in a mile wide. I don't want to just live on the surface. And I think so often busyness creates in us by just living on the surface. And so how do we go deeper? <clears throat> well, Jesus helps us by the fact that he models for us pulling aside, coming aside, finding a refuge, and in that refuge, in that soul rest, if you will, there are a couple of things that happen. And one is recovery. Recovery. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up and left. There are times where we need a vacation. There are times where we need an evacuation. <laughs> and, and we pull aside. And we rest. And that rest can look different for you than for me. But intentional rest is important for recovery. Horse trainer in Kentucky was telling me how you cannot train a horse seven days a week. They become exhausted and weary and they will not perform in peak condition. And so it's an opportunity for us to have recovery. Where is that lonely place where you recover? Is it the back deck? Is it the workshop? Is it beside the bed in prayer? Is it in a deer stand? Where is it? Find it. Jesus got up and he left. And then recentering. He went off to a solitary place where he prayed. He was able to recalibrate his soul. He was able to regain perspective. I don't know about you, but, but sometimes when I am standing in the face of difficult situations <clears throat> and the struggle is real and I've been at the struggle for a lengthy period of time, I begin to lose perspective. I begin to try to take too much control. It gets magnified. And I really believe that in those moments when we pull aside, we regain, the Holy Spirit allows us to regain perspective. You know that the challenge is not maybe as big as we once thought. And that maybe God is in control. I want you to say something with me this morning that's uh, important for us in terms of this whole idea of recentering and understanding 
of uh, the world around us. And you ready for this? I want you to repeat, right after I say the phrase, I want you to say it with me. It's okay, it's a safe phrase. You ready? It is. It is. Not my job. To run the world. It is not my job to run the world. And I think that's a reminder that when I pull aside, when I find a lonely place, when I find a refuge, I recalibrate, I regain perspective, and I realize again who is God, and that God, the one true God, is ultimately in control. And then, recommission. I really believe the Lord pulled aside to kind of recoil and recover. And I really believe He wanted to recenter. And He understood the commission He had to go serve His heavenly Father. And that is so important in terms of the Sabbath. Because a couple of things happen for me when I take a Sabbath. And for me, that's Friday. But when I take that Sabbath, here, here's what, what happens. Number one is I remember the call upon my life. And I remember the roles that God has called me to play as husband and father and pastor and preacher and son to my adult father, to my father in Kentucky, and, and just the number of roles that I have. And, and it's, it's an opportunity for me to be reminded of the calling upon my life, and I can regain that joy in the commission and calling that I once had. I can move from being a driven person, obsessively driven to please people, to gain possessions, to live in some kind of unhealthy perfectionism to a cold person in Christ. And there is joy in that. Because I realize that in that calling, God fuels me, God equips me to serve. And I can serve effectively when I'm reminded of that recommissioning. And the other is, I believe there's something powerful that happens in the Sabbath moment. We're able to give thanks. We're able to stop and say, God, you are so good to me. And your grace is unmerited, but you, are, you have lavished your love on me. And you have blessed me with so many things. And so I now go back out into my kind of like a mid-air refueling when Jesus would pull aside. And we need those moments. Some of us don't have an opportunity to take a sabbatical. Some of us aren't afforded the opportunity to take two weeks vacation. And so we have to be creative and say, okay, God, I'm going to allow you to do some mid-air refueling. I'm going to do some little things that will recharge my shriveled soul. There was a fellow, um, a, a father, younger father, who 
was dead tired. I mean, he was bone tired. He had come home from a long day at work and he was just looking forward to getting in his recliner. He gets in his recliner with his newspaper and all of a sudden, plop, his little boy jumps into his lap and says, what? Daddy looks play. He has no energy. He doesn't want to do that. He loves his boy, but he just has nothing to give that little one. And so he thinks for a moment, and off to the side, there's a table, there's scissors, and there's a transparent tape, and, and he sees this kind of world image in the newspaper, and he says, I'm going to, in his mind, I'm going to keep this boy pre preoccupied while I rest. And so he, he cuts out part of the paper, and he cuts the, the world image into pieces, almost like a jigsaw puzzle, and he says, okay, here's, here's tape. I want you to put uh, this world back together. Daddy's going to going to read the sports section. And so the little boy goes off and he comes back and he has the world back together. All taped up nicely. Beautiful picture of the earth. And he said, how did you do that, son? How did you do that so quickly? I mean, I cut that into a number of pieces. And he said, Daddy, look on the back there is an image of a man. And if you put the man together, you'll put the world together. <laughs> Do you hear the message in there? <laughs> that if we will allow the Holy Spirit to renew us, to refresh us, if we will be obedient in what God says is serious business, to rest, the man or the human being is put back together and then the world has perspective again. It comes together. <coughs> so, in my living as a follower of Jesus, I want to be the best I can be. And that means I've got to be a soul survivor. That I have to have a rested and healthy soul. If it was important for Jesus to work on that, it's important to me. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit.